Well, uh, if you've been a preacher longer than just a little bit, um, usually if you get a chance to talk long, you kind of enjoy it. So <laughs> settle in, take your shoes off, kind of get, get ready for, no, I, I, uh, I don't necessarily plan on talking real, real, real long. But I, it's been good to be here, and I appreciate your gift to us. God bless you for it. Uh, I've enjoyed getting to know some of you just a little bit. Um, I always enjoy coming to different churches and just kind of getting a feel for what's going on there, and I thank God for what's happening here and wish you the Lord's blessing. I'd like to talk tonight about how to live with an eternal perspective, and I don't know what God has done in your life to kind of jar you loose at times, um, but there have been different things that have happened in my life. Uh, I was just thinking recently about a time when I was 16 years old, I think, or 17, and um, our church was a small church. They were desperate for song leaders, and so I was a song leader, and uh, I think the very first song I led was number 42 in the Christian hymnal, which I think is Come Gracious Spirit, Heavenly Dove. I think that was the very first song I led, but there was one Sunday that I led the song Safe in the Arms of Jesus, and um, uh, didn't think a thing of it, but I was... I like to gab, uh, kind of have that gift, spiritual gift, and uh, so I, I stayed quite a while after church. For some reason, I had driven separately from my parents, and uh, my dad grew up in an Amish home where showing uh, lots of, uh, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Showing... Emotion, affection, yeah, those are the words I'm looking for. It was just not common. I don't really ever remember my dad saying that he loved me when I was growing up. It's just, we just didn't talk like that, you know. I'm sure he did, but he just didn't say it. Well, that particular Sunday, I got home extra late from church, and enough time had passed that my dad had the enough time to start thinking something has happened to Clyde. And uh, since I had led that song, Safe in the Arms of Jesus, he just had this in his mind. Something had happened to me. And um, so I got home. I wasn't expecting a thing. And I get out of the car, walk toward the house, and my dad comes running out of the house and throws his arms around me. He's crying, and he's like, oh, he said, I was afraid something had happened to you. And I was like, what? This is a side of dad I've never seen before, you know. I mean, he hugs me, and he just acts like he's just so thankful that I'm alive. And I really felt that my dad loved me, cared about me. And, um, but I also kind of developed a sense that maybe I wouldn't live long. just had that kind of feeling that, well, here I am. I've lived long already, <laughs> as Peter would say. <laughs> uh, can't die young anymore. Um, but that was one thing that God used to kind of 
shake me a little bit loose. I, I'm really thankful for that little memory. It's not a big memory. Um, just, just over two years ago, we stopped in to see my parents. We were heading to Mexico to see some friends of ours down there, Lynn and Debbie Miller, who work at the orphanage. And um, my mom really, we were thinking about skipping the family thing because we were busy heading there. She really put the pressure on us to come down there, and I'm glad she did. She kind of had some intuition, I think. And my dad, uh, he wasn't feeling real well, and I remember the night we said goodbye. We just stopped in, had a weekend there with the family, and then it was just second week in December or something like that. And as I went out the door, he was sitting in his favorite Lazy Boy, and um, he just took my hands, or my hand in both of his, and he looked at me, and he said, I love you. And uh, that was the last time I saw him alive. When we were in Mexico, he had, he had gone on to be with the Lord. I just thank God for just the ways that he can teach us how to have an eternal perspective. Another thing that happened to Juanita and I was that uh, when Micah, our oldest, was born, Unbeknownst to us, we had twins, and uh, we found out the same day they were born, and, but one of them didn't make it, and I remember driving through Plain City after that had happened, and we, were, we had one living, but he was in ICU, and he was very sick. We didn't know if he was going to make it, and the other one, another one that was gone to be with the Lord, and I just remember looking at people and thinking, how can you guys be so happy? What's going on with you? This world is just going to pot. Why aren't you all grieving? And um, God used that to help kind of shake me loose from the things of this world. How do you keep an eternal perspective? Uh, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'd like to go ahead and read the first 10 verses, and I think I'm going to start at verse 16 of chapter 4, because I think it fits together very well. So 2 Corinthians 4, 16, and then through verse 10. So we do not lose heart. Did you recognize that that's the second time he said that in this chapter? Very first verse, he says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We're not going to quit. We're not going to, to be defeated, discouraged, and stop. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight, momentary affliction, <laughs> isn't that a neat way of saying it? Slight, momentary affliction. In case you didn't get it with the first adjective, we'll put two in there. Slight affliction, momentary affliction. Are you getting it? It's not really. In comparison to eternity, our affliction is really not very measurable, right? It's really true, even if it lasts us a lifetime. It's not measurable compared to... I remember one time I was doing a chapel in our... Uh, I taught school at Shekinah in Plain City there. And I remember 
telling the students to pick a line, and we had a block wall just like this. And, you know, take a line and follow it all the way around the room, you know, one of those uh, grout lines. And, you know, let's just say that, it, you know, our existence is right there. That's it. And the rest of that is eternity. And that, that doesn't even come close to, you can't measure it. I mean, that's measurable there. You've got a sixteenth of an inch, and then you've got, what, 100 feet by whatever it is here. That's not even, eternity is not even measurable. You can't even picture what eternity is. So the affliction we have here is slight and momentary. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage, we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And we'll read the rest of it as we get there. But I want to point out several things that an eternal perspective does for us. Living with an eternal perspective. Living, thinking, consciously thinking that this life is just a very small part of our existence. And what really matters is the life to come. And that this life is really what it is. It's a it's the time of the choices we make, the choices that affect all of eternity. And I think if somehow I could have this impressed on my heart, and you could have it impressed on your heart, that the choices we make here have eternal consequences, I think it would just change the way we look at life. Number one. An eternal perspective helps us accept the difficulties a gospel holder will face. We talked about being a gospel holder this morning. We are gospel holders. We are clay pots, very fragile, very cheap. <laughs> you know, if I had a treasure, I'd put it in something really valuable. But God puts his treasure in these clay pots. So, uh, we are gospel holders. It's not just Jesus in our hearts and us, everything's fine, you know, it's just me and Jesus, but it's Jesus in our hearts 
the gospel in our hearts. It is a relationship, but it's a relationship that impacts all the other relationships in our lives. So when we see people out there, we think that they are living souls that someday will stand before God. And we want them to be able to worship God like we do, to be able to have the, the perspective on life that helps explain the difficulties, the trials, that gives us grace to respond with love to those who hurt us. Uh, we want them to have that same grace, that same experience. So eternal perspective helps us to accept the difficulties we will face. This says we will have affliction. And I don't think the slight and momentary, written by Apostle Paul, is talking about that it only lasts for five minutes. I mean, Apostle Paul knew about a lifetime of affliction. And the slight and momentary was not the amount of time in this life, but, but it was in comparison to eternity. Slight and momentary in comparison to eternity. So if you know that your afflictions here and the ways that God is wanting to work in your life to help soften you, if you know that that will have eternal benefits, then it's not so hard to go through it here. Secondly, an eternal perspective helps us to avoid the tragedy of neglecting what lasts by focusing on what doesn't. That's a tragedy. To spend our life focused on things that aren't going to last. They're transient, temporary, temporal, you might say. Um, the Bible talks about, you know, people that, you know, think about the sower. You know, they got distracted by the cares of this life. And, you know, I don't, I don't always know how to put all this together. Um, I have a cabinet shop. I uh, enjoy making cabinets. It's kind of therapy for me. I kind of like, you know, wood usually doesn't talk back to you and, uh, uh, or, or dislike what you say or whatever. You can kind of work with it, and at the end of the day, you can look back, and there's progress. And actually, you know, it, it, after a while, it looks pretty nice. Um, I don't know completely how to keep from getting distracted. And yet, I don't want to live a life where I focused on just things that don't matter. And I haven't thought about the things that really do. Relationships matter. Relationships matter. Relationships will last. We can take relationships with us into eternity, but you can't take things. Can't take things in eternity. There's such a love today of things that are so trivial, things that in two years won't matter. Or five years won't matter. Or ten years. Maybe next year won't matter. And yet we can be so preoccupied with things that are so trivial. Uh, if we have an eternal perspective, it helps us to avoid that tragedy. You know what I would like? I think all of us someday will face God. And I wonder sometimes if some of the tears that he will wipe away will be tears of regret that I did not focus more on the kingdom of God, that I did not spend the time to focus on the eternal, getting to know God, getting, trying to make so that other people can worship God the way that I do. We need a love 
of what lasts. And what lasts is not what we see. What lasts is what we can't see. So it helps us avoid that tragedy of choosing to focus on what doesn't last instead of what lasts. Thirdly, an eternal perspective frees us from the fear of death. Can you imagine that when we die, looking at verse 5, verse 1, for we know that if the tent, which is our heavenly home, our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building. So, which would you rather live in? Tent or building? Now, I don't mind a tent for a night or two. That's about it. After that, my back's sore. Can't sleep because the birds are chirping in the morning or all night or whatever. The train's running right by the camp yard. Yeah, there's all kinds of things that happen. And, or, or somebody else is snoring or you're snoring or whatever. I mean, tents have very thin walls. And to me, I just don't care to think, to anticipate living in a tent forever. But we trade a tent for a building, a building not made with hands. We trade something temporary and uh, unsecure, insecure, for something permanent and lasting. How can we be afraid of that? How can we be afraid of that? It says we actually groan. And I think about that. Do I groan for my heavenly body? Do I groan for it? Do I want it? Think about what it means. Let's, let's just talk a little bit. What is going to be different when we get to heaven? What are we going to lose here? What are we going to gain there? Help me out here. What's going to be different in heaven? No temptations. No sorrow. Can you imagine life without sorrow? When I was young, I used to think maybe life would be like that, but it didn't turn out that way. And really, that's good. Uh, I thank God for the difficult things that I've gone through because they've pulled my heart away from the things that don't matter to the things that do. No temptations. Can you imagine that? Won't that be great? Sometimes I just get so irritated at myself at the the things that all of a sudden somehow I get and I think thoughts I don't want to think. Maybe I get angry at things that happen. I don't want to get angry. I don't want to be like that anymore. Maybe some person that's not dressed completely right catches my eyes. Like, I don't want to think like that. I don't want to go down that path. Won't that be really something when that battle with that old man is gone? Gone. Gone forever. That will be great. What else? What else are we going to trade? No sorrow. Perfect relationships. You know, I used to not like that thing that Jesus said about in heaven there's not going to be marriage, giving and taking marriage. Like, eh, I want to be married to Juanita in heaven, right? I really do. I mean, the rest of you guys, I'm sorry, but I, I really made out well. And, uh, but, but can you imagine... As good as our relationship is, and we've had to work at it, by the way. Good marriages take lots of work. They take time. But as good as an earthly marriage can be, and I think it is the closest thing or can be the closest thing to a heavenly relationship, 
Can you imagine that all of our relationships are going to be better than that? All of our relationships are going to be better. That's why we don't need marriage anymore, because all of us are going to have perfect relationships with each other in ways that we can only just barely see now. Incredible. Incredible. What else? What's going to be different? No darkness. Yeah, no darkness. This talks about God saying, let light shine out of darkness. Uh, it's, you know, it's really a sign of our convoluted heart that men would love darkness rather than light. Who wants, who wants to live in the dark? Who wants to live in the dark spiritually? It's, it's pure foolishness that we choose, nah, I'd rather be in bondage. I, I really would. I'd just rather be in bondage and have these wrecked relationships and, you know, just pure foolishness. If we could really understand what the light, I mean, aren't you glad that you at least to some extent have seen the light? That you can see how God is working here? I mean, isn't that wonderful that we have light? And in heaven there will be no darkness. I think about the ways that good Christian brothers and sisters disagree. Ah, it's painful. Why can't we all see it alike? The Bible says, now we see through a glass darkly. We, we don't see it all. I wish we did. You know, we get to heaven, we'll all agree, and it probably won't be with me or you. It'll be, we'll all be agreeing with God. And we'll see it right. We'll see it right. We're here, we, we can't see it right. So all kinds of aspects of darkness, that'll be gone. There's just things that go on in secret. They won't be going on in heaven. They won't be going on. There's underlying currents that sometimes you can't really put your finger on. Not going to be in heaven. It's going to be gone. All light. All light. That's, that's going to be wonderful. What else? To his long home. What does that mean? Eternal home. Where we'll belong. Home is a place that ideally, just try to think of how it would be a complete ideal situation. Home is where you belong. And we will belong. We, we will fit. We will never have one of those feelings like I don't quite fit here. Do you ever have those feelings? I have. I don't quite fit, but there we will. We'll belong. What a blessing. What a blessing that is. One more. No aches and pains. Uh, taken from someone with white hair, so maybe he knows a little about, about aches and pains. Uh, no cancer. No parting. No difficulty. No finding it hard to read and needing to get bigger Bibles so you can see the print. I am holding out against reading glasses. I don't want to go there yet. Uh, we won't see the... I mean, it talks in here about though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. So there's actually a benefit, isn't there, to our outer nature giving out. 
it really does help us to focus more on the inner nature. When I was young, you could almost think you could have the world by the tail. You just really thought, I mean, I thought I had it all together and was really going places. Ah, it's good. It's good to get those props knocked out. It really is. No aches and pains. We'll be freed from the fear of death. You know, there really is not a reason to be afraid of death. We talked last night in the children's class about fear. And fear is a really big factor in why we don't share our faith more. And when I talk about sharing our faith, I think we should do it in different avenues. I I think it's okay to have like a fishing hole where maybe you go and maybe to a campus or something like a college campus and you can strike up conversations with people. Um, But I think it shouldn't just be at one place. I I remember uh, quite a few years ago um, going with our youth group to New York City to hand out tracks. I mean, we were going to, I don't know what all we did, but Alan Roth was, uh, first time I think I met Alan Roth. I mean, doesn't he? I don't know. You guys know Alan Roth, right? It kind of reminds you of the Apostle Paul. And uh, so, you know, my impression of handing out tracks was you carry them tightly beside you and you go to where you're going to hand them out, right? You don't talk to anybody before that. And when you get to where you're going to hand them out, then you stand there by the subway and you hand them out. And then when you're done, you go back. Well, we were on our way to the main subway where we were going to hand things out. And Alan was like preaching to people on the way there. And then he'd say, uh, why don't you give your testimony the next time there's a crowd here? Because we'd be stopped there. And I was like, huh? But I was a youth sponsor. Of course, you had to act brave. And... Um, Fear. Fear. Uh, We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. I told the story down at Stanton this afternoon about a time when I felt like the Lord was telling me to talk with this big tattoo type guy, big, you know, Harley kind of fella that was putting in some granite at a job that I was working on. And and he kept, I just, all through the day, God just kept kind of saying, you really need to talk to him. And I was like, "Ah, I don't think so. (laughs) He's not interested. No, you can tell. You know, you got to wait till the harvest is ripe and all that. (laughs) But, so I just kept putting it off, putting it off. And finally, I was leaving, and they were still there, but I wasn't going to see him again. So I went out and got my truck, and God, I just, it's like, you were supposed to talk to that guy. (laughs) And I was, you know, you know, you like to make these commitments. Lord, show me who I should speak to. But then when he does, like, not him. Somebody else. I mean, he, you know, I was afraid this guy would hit me on the head or something. I mean, he was big. And I, I just knew he wasn't a least bit interested in spiritual things. I mean, his mouth didn't act like it. Uh, his actions, I, there's no way. So I finally said, okay, well, if he'd come out in the next couple seconds here before I get this thing in reverse, I'll talk to him. Well, before I could get out of there quick, here he comes. I thought, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. So I dug through my cubby hole, and I found a Gospel of John. And I thought, well, I'll give him this. You know, Maybe that'll take care of things. So I got out, and I, I went up to him, and I was talking to him. And, and, and it was just like I could not get the words out. I mean, if you've ever tried to share your faith, you know what it feels like. It's just like 
stumble all over the place, no flowing, flowery demonstration of what the gospel is. It's just like, uh, the, you know, I, you know I, I, I'm a Christian, and would you like to read this, you know? And uh, I was just stumbling, all, and, and this, this guy got the most amazing look on his face. And I remember him saying, this is really strange. He said, my wife and I were just last night talking about God. And we were talking about how we want to raise our kids. And he said, we don't go to church or anything like that. He said, I, I'm just, I can't believe you gave this to me today. And I was thinking, I just about didn't. <laughs> and here I was so scared for nothing, for nothing. Now, there's been times that people have been mean or said mean things. But you know what that does? It helps us identify with Jesus. They said mean things to him, too. In fact, if they say mean things to us, it's really not about us. It's about Jesus. I mean, they're rejecting Jesus. I remember one time I was handing out just for you. I noticed you had some up here. It reminded me of that when I saw them coming in. And it was easy, easy to hand out just for you downtown because they'd send them to you free, right? I mean, it was great. And we lived downtown. We lived in Columbus for several years um, back, a ways back, before I became a minister out at, at Plain City. And um, one, one month, they sent these pamphlets on homosexuality, just for use. If you struggle with the sin of homosexuality, I forget what it was, and I was like, oh, no, I'm not handing these things out, because Columbus has a pretty decent homosexual population, especially downtown. I was so scared, so scared. Um, and there were a few people who, like, keep your trash or whatever, you know, but most of them didn't. We're so afraid, we're so afraid of what people think. And you know what that is? We talked about postmodernism this morning. It's just, it's too much about me. It's too much about how people are treating me. And that really doesn't, it really doesn't matter. Uh, we're so scared of what other people will think. We're so scared of somehow somebody uh, acting like we're um, strange or weird. And in a sense, you could say that that's man-centeredness, isn't it? It's man-centeredness. I listened to a, a sermon one time by an old Reformed Baptist, I believe, pastor named Ted O'Donnell from Scotland, I believe. Uh, it was very much worth listening to. But one of the things he said, he was talking about the doctrine of hell and why we are losing the doctrine of hell and why it's so important that we don't because it's a topic that we all will face. If we're not right with God, we will uh, face the uh, judgment of hell. And he goes through this long thing of why it's so important for us to talk about the doctrine of hell. And when he gets to the end, he says, but actually... The reason we're losing the doctrine of hell in American churches today is just a symptom of a deeper problem. The reason we're avoiding talking about hell is a symptom of a deeper problem, and the deeper problem is man-centeredness. We care more about what people will think of us 
than we do about what God thinks of them. And somehow the doctrine of hell makes us feel uncomfortable in how people are going to respond to us. And it's really man-centeredness. We need to be freed from fear. We need to recognize that when people reject us, it's not us. They're rejecting, they're rejecting Christ. We don't have to be afraid of death. Uh, I, I really think that in America, uh, the opposition towards true Christianity is going to continue to grow. I think we're just starting to see that. And uh, this, is, this is a time for us to shed the fear. We don't have to be afraid. God will take us through. His grace is sufficient for us. And if I lose this tent, I get a building. I mean, how, how bad can this be? It's really, we do not have to be afraid. Eternal perspective helps freeze us from fear of death. Number four, eternal perspective reminds us of our responsibility as a gospel holder. We will stand before God someday. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Now, what is the motivation for pleasing God? I think sometimes we fall into ditches on this one. We get, somehow we're terrified that if we don't live up to what God wants us to do, that he won't accept us. That's kind of the one ditch that we can fall into where we never really feel like God accepts us and is delighted with us. But on the other hand, we can get this perspective of God that he is just this nice, warm, teddy bear kind of God that really doesn't, you know, he doesn't mind if I just live my life just totally focused on my own pursuits. And that's another ditch. We aim to please him, I think, hopefully, out of two reasons. One is a healthy fear that we know that someday we will answer to him. But also, I believe more than that, is a love for God. That we love him back because he's loved us. You know, I, when my children were young, uh, they probably did what I wanted them to do more out of fear than out of love. But I'd hate it if it would always be like that. I think it's um, maybe Richard Foster's book, The Freedom of Simplicity, where he talks about the levels of Christian maturity. He's quoting somebody else. I forget who it is, Fenelon or someone. And he talks in there about how there are several stages in maturity, and one stage that we go through is kind of like kind of like adolescence. It's kind of an awkward stage. But there's a stage where we fear God and, and we just want to please Him but, and we're kind of nervous and we just so bad want to be what He wants us to be. Uh, but we're not relaxed. We're uptight and we're kind of struggling and, and fearful. And he says, um, he says, that's not the last step. That's not really where you want to stay, but there's a sense in which you need to go through the fear stage in order to get to the stage where you're no longer preoccupied with whether you are being all that you should be, but you're preoccupied with God, with wanting to think 
about him, wanting to know what he's thinking. And so it's, I think it's appropriate. I think in our circles, we, we, especially in the more conservative circles, we kind of lean a little heavy on the fear side. And sometimes we decry, and in, fa- in fact, it does create problems for us. It, 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 there's baggage that goes with that at times, especially if it's not accompanied with some kind of relationship. But on the other hand, if somebody comes into a relationship with God and never really has a healthy fear of him, uh, they're going to have a distorted picture of what it means to really relate to God. And in the same way it's right and good for children to fear their parents when they're young and then grow to love their parents, ideally, when they're older, in the same way it's right for us to have a healthy fear of standing before God someday and wanting to please Him out of that, but to grow out of that and to grow to wanting to please Him because we love Him. Because we love him. Because we have experienced his love for us. And we want to obey him. So an eternal perspective reminds us of our responsibility as a gospel holder. You know, I just want to remind us that someday we will stand before God. You will stand before God. And God will, will want to know what you have done for his kingdom. And at that point, if I spent my whole life with my perspective no further than my nose, it was just all about me, uh, I'll regret that. I'll regret that. So let's think eternally. Number five, it gives us a compassion for the lost. And here I want to read the rest of the verses here in this chapter. Starting at verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... We persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. If we were be- for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We are not to live for ourselves. We are to live for him who died. And he cares about us. But he doesn't just care about me. He cares about those in other countries that have never heard of him. One day I was sitting in an auto rickshaw, I think they call them. They call them different things in different places. But it's one of those little three-wheeled motorcycle-type things with you could put two people in the back and the driver in the front. And this was in India. And we were in a traffic jam. And you talk about traffic jams. They know about traffic jams there. There was actually a policeman standing in the middle going, and blowing his whistle. Nobody was paying any attention. Absolutely none. What you did was when you were coming through, you would quick get your nose in front of the next guy so that he couldn't go through, and then you got through between him and the car in front of him. And so that just kept going like 
you'd get through, and then he'd get his nose in, and that's how you got through the intersect. took us a long time. And we were sitting there staring, uh, I mean, two feet away, this guy on a motorcycle was staring at us, and he was a Muslim. There are quite a few Muslims in Hyderabad. A lot of the Muslims in India moved to Hyderabad because they'd been pushed out of other areas. A lot of Hindu, you know, mainly in, in India. And um, we had found that weekend that we were there, they had had this conference where they were talking about American Christianity versus uh, the Muslim faith. And they were making Christians just look awful and kind of acting like, you know, we're all like Hollywood and all of that. And, and I could tell this guy was looking at me, and I could tell he was thinking, you're an American. You're a dirty American. I just, I didn't feel like he had, he didn't, now, I, when I, it was one of my first trips overseas, I just kind of thought everybody liked Americans. Not totally true. And uh, I sat there, and I just thought, you know what? He doesn't know me. He doesn't know what a Christian's even like. He's got this impression of Christianity, and it's not right, and I smiled at him. And he just kind of stared at me, and I just kept smiling at him. And, and all of a sudden, he caught himself. He started smiling. He quick looked away. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? There he saw what a Christian's like. I didn't get a chance to talk to him. I didn't know his language. But at least a little bit, I could see that his perspective maybe was shaped just a little bit differently than what he thought. Um, there are many Many people in the world that have a wrong impression of what it means to follow Christ. They have a wrong impression of who Christ is. And Christ cares for them. He, the Father, sends the rain on the just and the unjust. And He wants them to come to know Him. And this passage says that we have been called to be ambassadors. And the last thing I want to say here is, um, an eternal perspective helps us to understand the gospel. It's kind of interesting. The gospel, let's see it in two ways here in verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In a sense, this almost seems to be an isolated statement in the middle of this passage. But I think it's a reminder of what the gospel is. The gospel is regeneration. We talked about that last night. We're talking about different definitions of the gospel. It's being born again. It's being made new, having a new heart. And uh, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away and all things have become new. So we get this new start with Christ. Regeneration and then right after that, reconciliation. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, that's the gospel, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are gospel holders. The gospel is about reconciliation, and we are gospel holders, so that means we are about reconciliation. Do you see your life like that? Is that what your life is about? Is it bigger than just your own dreams? Does it have an eternal perspective that you are here to be an ambassador for Christ, to help other people come to know him? I really think all of us to see ourselves as being part of the worldwide challenge 
of getting people to know who Christ is. Here in our own community and across in other lands where they've never heard of Christ. What is your role? What is your part? We all have a part. We can pray, we can send, we can go, but we all have a part in that. There's a phrase, you've probably heard it before, it's been one of my favorites over the years, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for God will last. There are times in my life where I feel quite discouraged and I wonder if my life matters at all. Maybe you felt that way before. But there's one old lady that I sometimes think about. And I don't, I don't want to tell this story. This story is not about me. It just happens to be being at the right place at the right time. But we lived in the hilltop of Columbus for about three and a half years, um, thinking about starting a church. Never actually got it started. Always kind of felt a little bit like I was a failure. We were a failure. I mean, things just didn't quite go the way we wanted to. We were hoping we could get something going there. And then uh, the last year, we were kind of there by ourselves. And, um, and then when the ordination came up at home, we thought, well, maybe we should be open to this. And then God opened that door, and we were called back. And so I kind of look back on that. It's like, what was that all about? You know, what? But there was there were some things that we learned through it. There were some relationships we made that we still have. But there was a lady there. There was an older couple that I used to go and visit. They lived just down the street. And, you know, old people are kind of nice to visit to, with. They, they like to talk to you, and you don't have to be too scared of them. It's kind of nice. And um, so I would, I would visit with this couple and um, just ever so often talk with them. And one day, I went down there, and here the husband, and I don't remember his name, uh, he was by himself. And he said, well, Gertrude went to a nursing home. And um, I got to think, you know what? I don't know if Gertrude is a Christian or not. I don't think she is. So I asked her husband, would you mind if I'd go and visit her? And he's like, no, that's fine. If you want to visit her, that's fine. So I, he gave me the nursing home, and I found it and went and and talked with her just a couple of times. And one time when I was there, I was talking to Gertrude, and she could barely respond. And I just felt like, you know what, i got to ask her if she's a Christian. And, you know, it wasn't real scary because she, wasn't, she was so weak, she couldn't throw anything at me. So I didn't have to worry about that. And so I just asked her, Gertrude, have you ever accepted the Lord? And, and she nodded that she had not. And I said, would you like to? And she nodded that she would. And I got thinking, now, wait a minute. This is something needs to be harder than this. You know, how, how can this be that she's so open to this? And I, but, but we prayed together, and uh, I really believe that Gertrude accepted the Lord that day. Um, I don't know if I had another chance to see her or not. Not that long after that, there was this big crowd of people outside their house, and... Um, I was coming home from teaching school, and they saw me coming up the road, and they waved at me and told me to stop, so I pulled over, and here it was Gertrude's children. I'd never met them before, and they said, um, they said, Dad says that you're a preacher, 
and we don't have a preacher, and mom just died, and we'd like you to do the sermon. And uh, I wasn't a preacher. I think I'd maybe been commissioned or something like that, but wasn't a preacher. So I didn't know if I could do it or not. I, so I told him, well, I'll check. And uh, so I called Walter up and said, do you have to be a preacher to preach a funeral sermon? And he's like, no. He said, anybody can do it. You can do it if you want. Well, I didn't own a suit at that time, so I went to Goodwill and bought a suit. And uh, <laughs> I remember talking to the funeral director. It was just at a, I mean, never met the guy. It was downtown funeral home. I, I told the guy, I said, hey, I just want you to know up front, I've never done a funeral before. I have no idea how you do things here, so just kind of help me out along the way. He said, that's fine. That's fine. We'll help you. So I had a little service there, and after the service, they closed these Venetian wall things, you know, and then the funeral director was up here doing something with the casket, you know, taking glasses off and setting things, kind of putting things away and shutting the lid, you know, and the family was back in the other room. I wasn't quite sure what to do with myself. I was kind of wishing I was on the other side of the curtain, you know, but here I am with him and, and uh, the body, the casket. So I kind of, you know, getting my things together, putting my Bible away and stuff, and all of a sudden he says, Reverend. And I didn't know, I didn't know who he was talking to. <laughs> so he says it again, Reverend. And I still, I didn't get it. I thought, you know, he must be calling for somebody. I don't know, maybe his cohort out there. And finally, he said it the third time, Reverend. And then I figured out, oh, he means me. I'm the Reverend. I had no idea. So I, oh, yeah, what? And so we went over. He said, well, usually the pastor carry or leads the casket out to the hearse. So if you would do that, uh, we'd appreciate it. I said, okay. He said, just, just walk a little bit ahead of us. Don't get too far. So uh, that's fine. And so we made it out there. It was a very interesting funeral procession. It was right down through downtown Columbus. We had a motorcycle police escort. And it was great. I think I was like, had my old rusty Honda. And it was, I was ahead of the hearse, I think, or maybe right behind the hearse. I don't remember. It was very interesting, uh, to say the least, and the police would roar up to the next intersection, stop everybody, and we'd keep going through, and we went all the way out to this um, graveside, and we got out there, and I, you know, it, this was a pretty rough family, but there was one exception there, I noticed. There's this one couple there that they were different from the rest of them, but anyway, we got out there, and, and um, I was doing the... Uh, committal and you know that at a committal you're supposed to stand at the head of the grave and so you know the funeral director was helping me with all this stuff make sure I knew where to stand and um, so we did the committal thing and we were all done and uh, I had during the committal I had said to them that Gertrude accepted the Lord before she died I had the privilege of praying with her and I know that she'd want all of you because I just I thought I was talking to a completely pagan audience and um, so I just encouraged them to think about that as well and I was finished done shaking hands with a few people and this really well-dressed couple came up to me and the lady was crying young lady 23 four years old 
And I, I hadn't seen him before. And she said, she said, Gertrude was my grandma. She said, I didn't know before today that she had accepted the Lord. She said, I've been praying for her for years. And, um, you know, it's just a little thing. I just happen to be at the right place at the right time. But that makes my life worthwhile. And those dark moments when I think, you know, what's it all about? What good am I doing? I can think back on that. And can I tell you that it wouldn't have happened unless we would have at least made some rough, feeble attempts to reach out to other people. I just want to encourage you. It's not always going to be like that. I've had lots of times I've talked to somebody and it feels like it just didn't go any further than my nose. You know, I mean, it just didn't do any good at all. But you don't know. We don't know. And there's only one life that will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would impress on us the beauty of the gospel and the treasure that it is and that we are gospel holders. Lord, I pray that every day we would rejoice and be thankful for the privilege that is ours to have had your light shine in our hearts. And Lord, fill us with gratitude. Forgive us for how we get offended and bitter and self-centered. Replace that, Lord, with just an awe of who you are and what you've done for us and what you've called us to and the eternal hope that we have. Father, help us to live with eternal perspective. I don't, I don't want to, I don't know if this is how you usually do things, but I'd like to just invite you to have your eyes bowed, your eyes closed, and your head bowed. And if God has spoken to you, and you would just like for us to pray together that God would help you to live with more of an eternal focus. Would you just raise your hand as just a, just a acknowledging to God, and I want to pray with you uh, that you would have more of eternal focus. God bless you. God bless those of you that have done it. Lord, bless you. Let me just pray for you especially. Lord, I pray for those here that want to live with more of eternal focus. Lord, we confess to you that we are weak. We are those clay pots, and we lose perspective. But, Lord, would you renew our perspective? And I pray especially that those who sense this in their heart, that you would continue to fan that flame into a bright and consistent light. And that, Lord, that we would live sensitive to your spirit and obedient to you. And as you bring opportunities to us to share what eternal perspective looks like to share about the gospel that we would not neglect, that we would not be so self-centered as to be afraid, but that we would be willing to share 
and that you would give us opportunities and that we could rejoice not only in your salvation to us, but in your salvation for the whole world. Father, give us a heart that cares for the lost like you do. Lord, we want to be there when you call us home. We want to be there, gather with those from all over the world who are praising your name and rejoicing to be with you forever. And I pray that we would all be faithful to that day. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you. It's been a privilege to be here this weekend. And I just pray that God will continue the work that he's begun in you.